Good morning, everyone, and good morning to those who are watching online with us today. It's so good to have you in the uh, in the room with us, and um, wonderful to see so many uh, people here this morning. And I'm pleased that we have car parking as well. I may or may not have removed some of the can't park signs outside the front. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's just like, hey, we have Christmas uh, because of the church, so you can just, yeah, just wait. Anyways, hey, I wanted to share a couple of um, testimonies just before we get underway today as well. I had a message come uh, in just a, a week or so ago from someone that I'd prayed for in church about three weeks uh, prior, and it says this, I just wanted to say thank you for praying over my back pain on Sunday the 19th of November. Since then, it's just dawned on me that I'm about fully healed, so much that I'd forgotten about it after weeks and weeks of acute pain that has caused me so much grief. So it was just, uh, yeah, a praise God Share that testimony. He is doing amazing things, and when we pray, powerful things happen. Um, I saw they were out riding a horse again. They hadn't done that for two or three months, so that was just uh, amazing. And it's also uh, really good to just remember when we pray that um, that we we pray and God restores. All right. Those who, when we lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. Recovery can actually take a little bit of time. So if you're prayed for, receive your healing and engage with the process of recovery. Engage with the fact that God is doing something. It might not feel instant, but there is actually a promise of recovery in His Word. So it's great to celebrate our healing and that God moves when we pray. He is powerful and He is effective. And He says that our prayers are the same when we do that. So I also just want to share another story, actually. And, and I'm doing this partly because I just could not get it off my heart for the last month. And it's a little bit of a telling on myself I'm not saying this to brag or just to kind of, you'll understand what I mean, or promote whatever I've done here, but it's just a, something that I just had to be obedient with. Um, oh, I tried to set my timer here, but it's just gone on seconds. Forget about that. Um, okay, so about 10 years ago, um, I, I felt prompted. It was in about in October, September, October. I felt prompted, I'd have to say, by the Holy Spirit to give my car away. And uh, I was, you know, I, I just kind of knew it was God. I was like, I don't have a backup plan for this God, but I just have a sense that this is something I need to engage with doing. And um, and it, the problem was, is that it was kind of our fun vehicle. It was a four-wheel drive. Um, and we just kind of, you know, it was a family kind of car. We all enjoyed going uh, with the DRs actually down the river and, you know, four-wheel driving and all that kind of stuff. And that was cool. And DRs for our friends, uh, in case you didn't know. And, and um, But I knew God was just kind of speaking to us. And so I said to, um, to Deb and to the kids, hey, I really feel like this is God, uh, something that God's asking of us to do together. And that news didn't go down that well initially. Um, and so I was just like, well, I'll just give this some time. So just over the next few months, I just kind of, hey, you know that word? No, yeah. And there was just kind of this kind of embracing of that this was what we were going to do. So at Christmas time, we we're like, let's do this now. And um, that'll be a real cool um, Christmas present for this person. And I'm going to ride a bike for as long as it takes. And, and um, we went to do it. And they turned out 
that they were on holiday. And so we couldn't do that. We went on holiday, and then it came back into the end of January where we were like, okay, we're going to do it now. And uh, it was still a step of faith, all right? And so we did it, and then on the day that we gave this car, it turned out to be this person's birthday. And it was just an incredible, not coincidence, but God incidence, the whole journey of generosity, the whole kind of like embracing this kind of, hey, we get to express the goodness of God here. And he kind of knew that it's going to take our family this time to engage with it and just the things of life would be in the way. And then on the day we could do it, it would be their birthday. And I, I know on that day that most or many other people had forgotten it was their birthday and they said this to me. So it was like a gift from God saying, I see you, you're, you're my child and I want to I wanna be a blessing to you. And I want to just share this scripture. Um, and I did actually ride on a bike for quite a few months after that, actually. And I should say that um, then in about March or April, we just received an unexpected uh, tax rebate and we were able to buy another car. So it was really like God was in it and it was just the best thing for everyone. Now, this is the scripture, Proverbs 11, 25. Um, uh, oh yeah, cool, 25. Uh, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Now, our generosity actually engages us with a spiritual law. It actually engages us with this law, and I'll call it the law of entrustment, really, as we show ourselves worthy with what we have, of worthy of, of what we're doing with what we have, and, and, and trustworthy with our generosity as we invest with wisdom, his word, the Bible says that those who are generous will prosper, that those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And I'm not just going to put this in the money category, all right? This is not just a money thing, but it includes money. It actually includes his favor and blessing. When you think of Jesus who received the loaves and the fish from just one small boy who just out of the blue, he was the one that's noted to give his lunch, to give what he had away, that went through the hands of Jesus and there was exponential increase. There was a breakthrough and yes, this is a miracle of miracles. But I want to just remind you church that we have a God of miracles that lives within us, that we are partnering, in a sense, with the divine nature to bring prosperity to us and through our lives, that everything that we have in our world is not just for us to hoard away, but it is actually to engage with this law of entrustment to say, God, you're entrusting this with me. What can I do with what you've given me? And so I just want to um, just take this moment and make, let's just stand just, just right now, just to stand. I know you've been up and down and all over the place today and be praying and it's just like you're just getting your steps in for the day. All right. I just, I just think we just need to agree together for every family, every income stream and every business to engage with the goodness of God first. He is the father 
of fathers, from heavenly light, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good and perfect thing that is in our lives is from him, and he entrusts that to us. And he, is, he wants to bless our lives. He wants to top line bless us so we could bottom line be a blessing to others. So let's just engage with that. And I just want to reject poverty in this moment. I also want to reject that whole thing that we can't talk about the prosperity of the kingdom because like, well, we don't want to just, just in case we think that I'm going to start saying, oh, if we give money, we're going to get something from God. I'm like, no, actually, that's actually what the Bible says happens. My Bible says that when we get, we can expect to receive from God. So Jesus, right now, I just thank you for every believer in this place right now. We just thank you, Father, that you are the King of kings, but you are the Father of heavenly lights who does not change. And every good and perfect gift is from you above. And we just agree with the blessing of the Father today. We thank you for the alignment unto heaven. And we just say, yes, we're going to receive the blessing. We're going to receive the favor. We're going to receive abundance. And I just bless every income stream in this place, despite what the financial climate says, despite what your bank account says, despite what it says on the bottom line. We thank you, Father, for your favor, for your divine favor over businesses and income streams. We thank you for promotions. We thank you for divine opportunities and blessings, God, in this season, Lord. And we just say, hey, God, what what? do you want to do with what we have? What do you want to do with what we have? How can we engage with this river of living water and not become a pool that's stagnant? Just flow through our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give the, the Lord a shout of praise. We praise you, Lord. We praise you. We praise you. And you could take, you could take a seat. Um, I just had to get that out of my system as well. It's the end of the year, and I'm like, oh, I've got to get all these things out of my system because everything changes at the end of the year. No. <laughs> um, a couple of weeks ago in prayer, actually with a group uh, from Thrive here, I had a picture in, in my oh, a vision, if you like, as we were praying, of uh, the, the scepter, and it, I'm going to go on to this a little bit. This is going to be my message this morning. The scepter that Esther reached out and touched and received favor from the king. And in that vision, I just thought, man, God is actually speaking to us as a church in this season, and perhaps even the church on the globe, in a global scale, that we are coming into a position that we have been prepared for, for such a time as this, for such a place as this, and such as a position of Issa as this. So if you can't think I'm saying, if you don't think I'm saying Easter right, I'm actually not, I'm saying Esther. Esther, so Esther's a book in the Old Testament, and it tells, if you, I want to give an overview right now of this story, it tells the story of God's deliverance from a, the wicked plot of a man called Haman, and, and at the time, the Jews were actually in exile under Babylonian captivity, and, and the, the book of Esther was written in around, you know, 450 to 480 BC, and it's in the same kind of space spaces the book of Nehemiah for all you scholars out there that are like, how does this fit into the Bible? Um, so the, the book actually uh, begins with this, uh, this kind of crisis moment with the queen and the king, um, Queen Vashti, and she is uh, avoiding her husband, 
King Xerxes' request to come and dance for him and his guests. And, and she's like, I'm not going there. I don't want to do that. And being a rather kind of uh, sensitive and, and possibly tad controlling guy, Xerxes fires slash divorces her as queen and wife. And, and so he's got he's to actually, well, he doesn't have to, but he decides he's going to pick a new queen to replace her. And he eventually manages to select uh, Esther, who is a young and secretly Jewish woman. And so Esther's backstory is that she was an orphan adopted and raised by her righteous cousin Mordecai. Mordecai. Everyone say Mordecai. He is a, he's a very key person in the story. And when King Xerxes came looking for all the young women to fill the role of queen, Esther um, was selected to be a part of like this, like the elite, I guess. And she spent a year, a whole year, preparing for the choosing moment. So I, I don't know what was happening. There was lots of pampering, I can imagine, over that year. And, and then and in that process, she wins favor with those around her and then ultimately with the king himself, and, um, and she is chosen as queen. And so it's all good for a bit. It's all good for a moment. We're like, yep, she's the queen. And then one day, Mordecai is sitting at the king's gate, and so that's not just haphazard that he happens to be sitting at the king's gate in that culture. Those who sat at the gate were actually responsible for civic matters. He could have been like a judge or something like that. He was a man of influence in the community. Anyway, he, uh, he, while he's sitting at the gate, he overhears of this plot to kill the king. And so he tells Esther, and then the, the assassination is avoided. And then, um, but more, but wait, there's still more. There's, there's more treachery afoot in uh, the king's courts. When Mordecai, he's at the king's gate, he refuses to, to bow down to this evil advisor called Haman. And this nasty, probably like mustache twisting kind of guy, he decides to engineer and plot a murder of all the Jews in the Persian Empire. So the plot, you know, to speed through this, basically um, involves Haman going to the king and saying, I think we should kill all the Jews in the Persian Empire. And the king says, all right. Um, and so that was going to happen. And Haman walks away, you know, twisting his mustache some more, glad that the king has agreed to his genocidal plans. And and the king still doesn't know that his queen is Jewish. And Esther's been keeping this a secret from him. So the threat to the Jews' annihilation kicks Esther and Mordecai into action. Mordecai, like, I think he puts sackcloth on and goes to the wall and intercedes for three days. Esther fasts for three days um, before visiting the king. And within the Persian Empire... Um, in, in order to come into the presence of the king without being put to death, the king had to extend his golden scepter and you would live. So Esther came into the throne room to stand on behalf of the people. And, and when she did this, she was running the risk that he wouldn't extend the scepter and she would be put to death. However, she had embraced these words from Mordecai that perhaps she had come into the kingdom 
for such a time as this. And she finds favor in the king's eyes. And he was pleased to speak to her. And the king offered her whatever she wanted. And she didn't jump straight to what she wanted. She asked him to have two banquets for her and for Haman over a couple of days. And so meanwhile, Haman is still like fuming, twisting his mustache, and, and that Mordecai it will still not bow down to him. And so he has these huge gallows built to hang Mordecai on. And at the second banquet, Esther asks the king to spare her people, and she uncovers that Haman is the one who intends to kill uh, the Jews and, and her. And so Haman is there, then hung to death on the same gallows that he's bought, built for Mordecai. Sweet irony there. And Esther remains queen. She actually inherits Haman's estate, and Mordecai is promoted as the king's new counselor. Awesome. Let's have a clap. And while everyone's clapping, can I have a drink of water? Thank you. So Esther, the book of Esther is, is written like a hero type story. Um, the name Esther is actually the Persian word for star. And so Esther, the star of the story, points towards God as the ultimate deliverer. Before Jesus was born, 2,000 years ago, there was this incredible void absence of the word of the Lord for around 400 years, I think it was. And so there's this absence of the prophets, of the word of God, of the revelation of what God's doing and what he's saying. They're just hanging on to what they had before. And there's this silence. And then this is compounded by the oppression of the Roman Empire. And, you know, thick darkness covers the land. And they would have been like in Isaiah 60, where it's like, yeah, we want the horizon shining because thick darkness is kind of, it's all over the land. And, and then there's this awakening of the word of the Lord. Some are just waiting in the temple to see Jesus. There's, the, the angel was spoken to Zacchaeus or Zacchaeus. Uh, you know, John the Baptist, Zechariah, thank you, Zechariah, and, and there's this kind of emergence that there's hope, that there's going to be a saviour. And then we have this, these, uh, these wise men, and, and, and it says this in Matthew 2, verse 9 and 10, And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly, with great joy. I love that. They rejoiced exceedingly. Random guys on a mission looking for a start, looking for a sign. And then they suddenly rejoiced. They went like, oh, there it is. Yay. They were just, woo. They were, they were like, you know, they were manifesting the joy of the Lord. And, and the star that guided the wise men to the town of Bethlehem pointed towards the true star of the show. That is Jesus Christ, Revelation calls him the bright morning star. And we sing the carol, we, you know, star of wonder, star of light, star with royal beauty bright. And, you know, when you think of a star, it has great definition against the night sky because of contrast. And in all of that blackness, hope is kind of like piercing through. 
because of the star. And Jesus came into the world at this time, and he brought great hope, and he brought great contrast against the, the kingdom of darkness in this world. And now there is this invitation to all of us for whoever is stumbling in the dark to come and find Jesus, who is the light of life. And when we walk with Jesus, we would never walk in darkness. And we get to walk in the light as He is in the light. So just as the star over Bethlehem pointed towards Jesus, Esther is a foreshadowing of that coming star that points towards God as our deliverer. And when you think of the parallels where, where perhaps you were born for such a time as this, it says uh, that Jesus came for such a time as this. Jesus who came at just the right time, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I believe um, there's something in this for, for, the, for the church, for perhaps us as individuals to become an Esther Type in the midst of whatever th is threatening us to be this that like that star over Bethlehem that points towards Jesus, revealing Him as Savior. The church is being called into the courts of the King, and there's this sense that, like Esther, we are now entering into new realms. You know, to understand that, I guess, whatever has been entrusted to us like Esther was made queen, even starting with our own breath, whatever's been trusted to us is not for our own satisfaction. I mean, that's good if we can have some contentment along the way, right? But it is for a greater purpose to stand up and to stand out as children of God in the world. This uh, book of Esther is about how an orphaned an orphan actually helped save a nation. So this, this girl, she went from being an imposter, starting out as an immigrant, who then embraced her identity and her call and came into the highest possible position as queen of the empire. With man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. I want to just speak to a couple of things on this. Firstly, Esther prepared for her royal identity. Before she was selected as queen, she had a year of preparation. Everything in her life up to this point was a, was a time of preparation, and that year intensified it. This preparation was actually the platform for the palace, this place of governance and influence. And, you know, there may be a desire of significance in your life and in your heart, but we can't shortcut the process of preparation. And if this is a season of preparation for you, how do you wait well? How do you wait well, waiting, I just want to say a few things about waiting here, because waiting does not look like you put your life on autopilot and hitting cruise control. Waiting on God is not saying, oh, whatever will be, will be. It's just, you know, it's not up to me. It's only up to Him. It's actually waiting requires faith from us. We can actually do something about the state of the world. 
We can actually do something about the state of our families. We can actually engage by faith, even if we are waiting. Psalm 27 verse 14 says this, Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. And this psalm, it reminds us that waiting on God actually requires something from us. It requires strength. It requires courage. It, it requires a fight from our inner self, from our heart. Let your heart take courage. It's like a medicine. I need, some, I need, I need my heart to get into a place of courage. It's like fighting the good fight of faith. It could be like fighting to enter into your rest. You know, before Pentecost, the disciples weren't just stuck in a room for 10 days watching Netflix. They were in prayer. They were preparing. They were waiting well on the Lord. I love Hebrews 6 verse 12, and I'm going to say the first little bit in the King James Version, that ye not be slothful, that ye not be slothful. It's by faith and perseverance that we inherit the promises, and we can't shortcut the preparation. And I, want, I hope this is an encouragement for someone who feels like they've just been waiting a long time. That all you're doing is waiting. Let there be hope in your spirit that God has called you. He's calling you for such a time as this. You might have felt like an elf on a shelf, but you are not. You're meant to be at the gym. You're meant to be working out your spiritual muscles. You know, the enemy is at work against the people of God, and he does not want you to wait well. He will do everything he can to unseat you. He will accuse you, and he will discourage you, and he will encourage you to shortcut the process of waiting well. And in the process of waiting, we can end up fixating on things that we don't have. And the accuser will just do that so well. And we just do this to ourselves. All the things that we don't have and all the things that we, uh, all the reasons why we're not where we need to be. But waiting well means that we need to guard our heart, especially when others have got a green light around their lives. And they're off doing what we want to be doing. And they're getting paid what we want to be paid. And they're succeeding while we're still preparing. And God's got, he's like, I got you still. <laughs> I got you right where I want you. I'm growing you. I'm stretching you. I'm training you. Your faith is growing. Your courage is growing. Take heart. Take heart today. When you feel like you're the last or the leftovers or left out, take heart. Take heart. Especially when it looks like those who aren't following God are just like living the good life and everything's really easy. I want to remind you that the enemy isn't interested in them. He's interested in you. He's got them where he wants them. If they could just keep just ignoring God and just living for the day and for the moment, but you're different. You're a threat to the enemy's camp. Anyway, Mordecai um, said to Esther, he said, and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Other translation says, perhaps you have. Perhaps you're here for a reason. Perhaps you've come here and it's time for you to magnify the perhaps <laughs> and not look at the, oh, maybe not, 
or oh, I'm missing out, perhaps you are on the edge of a great breakthrough. Perhaps you're on the edge of your healing. Perhaps you are uh, on the edge of, of a new anointing. Perhaps you're on the edge of the Prince of Peace rolling into your life and you knowing peace like you've never known before because it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by His Spirit. It is by His Spirit. Perhaps the Lord, it, it, let that pull you out of unbelief today, that perhaps the Lord will save you, whether by many or by few. I think Jonathan and the armor bearer said that. It's like, let's go up. Let's go. That perhaps was enough for them. In Esther uh, chapter 4, for the first time in this book, we see actually that a woman has stepped out of being a victim or a pawn of male power to become a person of strength, confidence, and courage. And the earlier chapters, they emphasize Esther's beauty, but now we see Esther is both beautiful, she's wise, and she's courageous. And she, being the queen of the greatest empire in the world at that time, she was willing to risk her life in order to identify with her people. And this is a, this is a type of of Christ here. It says this in Philippians 2, 7 and 8, that in the same way, Jesus, the King of the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness, he came as a baby and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is Emmanuel. This mean, that means God with us, who gave his life for us. And because of Jesus' sacrifice, we have a king now who eternally extends the royal scepter to us. Eternally says, welcome into my presence. We don't have to have a worry of being cast out of the presence of the king of kings. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with great boldness or with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I want to tell someone today that you can come to God without hesitation. You can come to Him freely. He, you can come with, to Him expecting favor. You can come because He's always pleased with you. He loves you and He's delighted to speak with you and you can't you know, we can't surrender everything to Jesus and not expect to encounter the King of Kings. And as the scepter was extended to Esther, she suddenly went from being just another acquisition to the king, to having a voice, to having a place of authority, to being invited and accepted and embraced in a new realm. Who knows whether you have not attained royalty, attained royalty for such a time as this. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen people. 
You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Romans 5.17, those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. That's great news. That's great news for everyone today. You know that, that salvation is not just a ticket to heaven. It's actually that we get to come in and be a part of a kingdom, of a royal priesthood, of God's special possession, that we get to reign and rule in life through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. That's more than just clocking in to work on Monday and just same thing, different day. It's living with an expectation that you are called into the royal identity of Jesus Christ. That means you're called out of the pattern of this world into the anticipation that heaven's going to mean something through your life. That's what it means. I want to get excited about that. If you're happy, notify your face. Let's live with an anticipation. Let's live with an expectation. Let's pray like we believe it. Let's set aside time to, to get into His Word and anticipate that God wants to use you for such a time as this. There's an invitation to the throne room of heaven for every single one of us. There are privileges and responsibilities of royalty. And we're going to love those privileges, but we cannot neglect the responsibilities that we have to be a part of His royal kingdom. He's calling us, church, to rise into responsibility, to find our voice, to declare in the Spirit when things are out of order, to, to, to make us stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, teach us your ways. Teach us your ways, Lord. Mm. You know, the story of Esther, we'll come back to this. She was the star that really pointed towards Jesus as the nation's ultimate deliverer and our ultimate deliverer. That in spite the intimidation of life, like, yeah, you can go, ah, oh, you see, that was there. We, we all have the intimidation of life. Like, right, life can intimidate us. But we need to keep our eyes on Jesus, who is the author, he's the perfecter, and he, is the, he gives us the invitation into the throne room with the Father. Not fixating on what we do not have, especially coming up into Christmas, and you can kind of like reevaluate the year, and you can feel a little bit like, oh, I meant to do this, and I wanted to do that, and I just feel, I feel like I've got some regrets, and I'm not where I want to be. Don't fixate on that in this season. Fixate on what God has got ahead for you, for your family, and for this community. I want to do one thing. Let's just stand together right now in this moment. Let's just stand here. Thank you, Jesus. We just thank you for every 
single soul in this room today, every single dearly loved child of God. I just thank you that it says in 1 Peter 2.24 that you bore our sins on your body on the cross so that we would die to sin and live for righteousness that by his wounds we have been healed. And we just thank you that, that sin is no longer connected to our identity, no longer connected to who we are. You know, if we believe we're still sinners, then we're going to sin by faith. Because what, 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 what you believe about yourself matters. Sin is not connected to your identity. You could recognize that it's there and, and ask for forgiveness and then just give that to Jesus, but you're, you're not a sinner. It's not your identity. You fall into righteousness when you sin. That's why righteousness is there for you. It's like a net. It's like you fall into You fall into it. And it's not mean to say that we just, oh, well, that's an easy ticket. I can just sing, sin willy-nilly. You just, you haven't got that. You haven't got the message. You don't know how much you need righteousness. <laughs> I, just, I just feel to do this, actually. Let's just, um, just close our eyes right now, just before the Lord here. I just actually want to just break the vow that I'm a sinner. I just want someone to agree with me that I anticipate that I'm a sinner. I am a sinner and that is connected to my identity. Just This is just maybe just for one person right now. Jesus, right now, we reject that label connected to our identity that I am a dirty, rotten sinner. We break that in the name of Jesus right now we break that because Jesus, that just rejects what you did on the cross. You were enough. And so I thank you right now just for healing of grief from those who have just walked with this being, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm still a dirty, rotten sinner. We just thank you, Jesus, for the washing of your blood, the cleansing of righteousness right now, the cleansing of righteousness right now, just over everyone in this place, the cleansing of righteousness, the coat of righteousness right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We just thank you for just a freshness of your love, just the wraparound goodness of the Father, just as we just come into your throne room this morning. We just thank you for the wraparound goodness of the Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just for, just, let's just stay in this. If you've been just kind of like you've had some fixations on like, I'm just, I get so fixated on stuff and why, why not? We just surrender every unhealthy fixation of why not to you, Jesus, right now. We just surrender that. We surrender those fixations and every spirit of fear that's connected with why not, we break in Jesus' name. We reject fear. There is no fear in perfect love because fear has to do with punishment. We thank you right now for the rejection of fear and we receive perfect love. Perfect love, perfect love, perfect love for such a time as this, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that we are not disqualified from your presence today. We are not disqualified from your presence today. Oh, thank you, Holy Ghost. 
thank you, Holy Ghost. We just thank you that you're the Prince of Peace today. You're Emmanuel, God with us. God with us.